This morning's speaker is a man by the name of Brad Buser. Brad uh, is the founder of a training school called Radius International, uh, located in Tijuana, Mexico. And uh, Guy Weathers and I were able to visit Radius uh, just a few months ago uh, and, and see what was taking place down there. And I have to say, uh, I was blown away uh, by the quality, uh, the spiritual warmth and vitality, the, um, the tremendous experience of all the instructors and just the, the vision uh, that Brad and the rest of the leaders at Radius had for that particular ministry. You know, uh, I've, not, I've never been in the military. Some of you are military veterans, uh, but I, as I understand it, there are uh, those who uh, go out and they're on the front lines, uh, you know, SEAL team or uh, the Army Rangers, and they do these, these missions like far behind enemy lines. And then behind those teams, uh, there are just hundreds of others who are the support system for those teams. And, and I think they're called the tip of the spear. Am I right about that? Uh, they often refer to those teams as the tip of the spear. And then the rest of the spear is all of the rest of the, the military operation. And, uh, you know, there are people in the church who serve as kind of the tip of the spear. They go out into behind enemy lines into places where Christ has never been named. Uh, in, in among people who have never had access to the gospel of Jesus Christ in their language. And they go and they learn the language and they uh, get to know the people and they share Christ in a way that those people can understand and they share themselves. And what, what Radius does is it prepares individuals to do that very thing. And we have the privilege as the body of Christ, the local church, to be that support system. And for some of us, perhaps for some of you even this morning, God will call you to be the tip of the spear and to go out and be deployed in this tremendous, tremendous way. Uh, so I'm excited to hear from Brad this morning. Uh, you will hear a preacher, you will hear a, an evangelist, you will hear a man who loves the Lord. And so I am eager to hear what God has for me this morning, and I trust that you are as well. Uh, this morning I also want to read a passage of scripture, Revelation chapter 5. And as I was thinking about this passage, it strikes me that every single person in this room today, every single person listening online, needs to hear this passage. I mean, we've got people starting their journey. Uh, Tyler's here this morning for the first time, making public his commitment to the Lord Jesus. We've got those of you this morning who uh, are, are grieving the loss of someone who ended their race just this week, uh, and everything in between. And this is what we need to know. So listen to God's word from Revelation chapter 5. John says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. 
And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you, rans- you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is our God. Let's pray to him now. God, this morning we come to you with nothing in our hands except the sin that requires us to seek forgiveness and the suffering that is part and parcel of living in this fallen world. We can't add anything to you. You are the one who made us and all things. From you and through you and to you are all things. You are infinite, unlimited, uninhibited, unaccountable to anybody else. You are the God of all the earth and all the universe. Every planet was made by you. Every molecule was made by you. And you are good. Father, your righteousness and your justice is unparalleled. You are so merciful and kind. And Lord, we don't deserve your attention, let alone your love, and yet we rejoice in the fact that you've sent your son Jesus to be the Lamb of God, to be that perfect sinless sacrifice who would take our place and our condemnation and give us a place around your table. Father, we worship you this morning, and we go even further, and we want to take to you uh, what you've promised that you would hear. Uh, We take our prayers and our needs and our requests to you this morning. And so, Father, I, I want to lift up those this morning who are grieving the loss of a friend or a family member. I think of the Holifields, uh, the Johnson family, uh, Tim and Renee Snyder, who have lost Tim's mother. I uh, think of uh, others uh, just in the last several weeks who have suffered in this way. 
And Lord, we, we know that you are the God of all comfort and that you will one day provide full, complete comfort and peace and wholeness to all of your people. And I pray that, that just a little bit of that would be dispensed toward our brothers and sisters who are weeping in your presence today. That you would comfort and give peace to these individuals. Father, we pray for uh, just the advancement of your kingdom here in the city of Mineral Wells and throughout our whole region and throughout the world. We ask that you would allow us to join you in what you're doing and that you would expose areas in our lives that are in the way and give us by your spirit the ability and the power to repent from those things, to claim the blood of Christ, and to walk in the spirit in obedience. Lord, we pray that as we, uh, in just a few moments after we sing one more song, uh, open your word and hear it preached, that you would convict each of our hearts of the very thing that you want us to know and the very thing that you want us to do. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. privilege for my wife and I to be with you folks this, uh, this Sunday morning. I've never been to this part of Texas before. Uh, I've been to Odessa and Midland and uh, Lubbock and I uh, didn't know Texas could be green like this and be uh, have bumps. Okay, I wouldn't call them mountains. I'm from California. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, it's beautiful up here. It's uh, been a joy to be with you all weekend, to get to have breakfast with you, and uh, last evening uh, have some folks uh, that we've got to share with. And uh, I just uh, want to carry on with that a little bit this morning. By way of introduction, my wife and I uh, served in the country of Papua New Guinea for a little over 20 years. Uh, we were uh, missionaries there working with a group of people that lived way back in the middle of the jungle called the Itedi people. Uh, by the way, Papua New Guinea, it's a big island right above Australia. And you say island, people start thinking about Maui, Kauai, Oahu. Uh, that's not the case. It's bigger than the state of California. When we got to uh, the country, first thing that we had to do was learn the language of the country, which is Melanesian. This was taught me working now, we talk Pisinian, I spoke to you putting Gupa Yalongan by Naplaharam, that's a thing by all the same. You've got plenty below you, but I'm going to come up like this. That's a beyond by you going to talk and that's the first language that we had to uh, learn so that we could get a visa, get a taxi, buy a loaf of bread, just do business in the city of cities of Papua New Guinea. Uh, it doesn't have anything that would resemble even mineral wells, so downplay the, the definition of city. Uh, while we were doing that, we uh, were making trips interior because there's a lot of churches on the coast of New Guinea. Our job was to go where the gospel had not gone before, to plant a church where they had never had the church. They had never had the message of Jesus Christ. And so I was making trips interior uh, and uh, locating peoples that uh, wanted to have somebody come live with them. They didn't want Jesus. They never heard of Jesus, but they, they wanted help. They were desperately poor. Uh, malaria is killing off about 65% of many of the interior peoples. And so we made a decision that we would go and locate among a group of guys called the Itedi people. Uh, Itedis had never seen an outside woman. My wife would be the first. Uh, they had never had foreigners live among them. They'd never trained anyone to learn their language. Uh, we moved in. I made a house. So we cut down big, uh, they looked like coconut trees. We cut the coconut trees into 10-foot sections. We took the bark off the tree, and that's what we used for the floor of our house. Then we took the leaves of the trees, and we used that for the roof of our house, sewing it up to thatch. I don't know if any of you guys watch uh, Survivor. Uh, 
we did it, okay, for 20 years. <laughs> and uh, finally got the house uh, pretty good, pretty livable. Helicopter, we cut down a big chunk of jungle, maybe twice the size of the sanctuary here, and helicoptered my wife and two little boys uh, back there into the middle of the jungle. She was 23, I was 24. By that time, uh, we, I made some beds. Uh, the first morning, she rolls over into bed, and she looks at me in the eyes. She says, honey, I, I just want you to know I'm pregnant. Oh, gosh. How did you do that? That's ridiculous. Man, that's really bad timing. So I worked feverishly to build an airstrip, and uh, I failed. Uh, I didn't get it done in time. We hiked out, had our third child, hiked back in, and uh, got the airstrip finished. And then began learning the language of the Itedi people. And uh, when you talk about language study, uh, what the W's are going to be going through and learning language, uh, learning a language uh, that ha doesn't have a language school like among the Itedi people. Uh, I was gone from my wife days, weeks at a time. Hiking, hunting, traveling, living, eating, sleeping with the Teddy people. I got down to a weight I had not seen since I was in junior high. I had 152 pounds when I was learning their language. And I'm not built to be 152 pounds, but that's what it took. Uh, finally, and uh, we moved in in 1975, 1979. Finally, in 1985, I was fluent enough to communicate like an adult Teddy man. I could begin to share the gospel with the Teddy people for the first time. They never heard anything like it. Their world was made up of 40 basic spirits that they learned how to appease and how to walk before, how to manipulate, how to hide from. And uh, they had never heard of anything like the God of Scripture. It took us seven months teaching five days a week before they could finally understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus in, in mid-1986. And uh, we saw 22 people come to faith in Christ that very day. Uh, what a day it was uh, to see the gospel break out there. We were, we were excited. We were ecstatic. The thing that I'd given my life to do when I was a senior in high school, uh, man, I'd seen that done. I was 30 years old. And, uh, and the next day, I, I, I call it postpartum blues. I went into a semi-depressive state because I realized, great, now they know the Lord. We've got 22 individuals who understand the gospel. It's going to take so much more work to see them become the church of Jesus Christ, to translate the scriptures for them. And it did. It took us seven years to get to that point. It took us 13 more years. And that's where it came into being 20 years before our job among the Teddy people was done. Um, so that's a little bit of our background there. Uh, why do people do that? Why do people like the W's walk away from a wonderful life, a wonderful community, family? Why do people do that if they lost them? I can remember as a kid, my mom was a Christian, and she dragged me to Sunday school and church. And, and every once in a while, a missionary would get up here and talk. And I, all I could think was, dude, didn't you have any friends? Did you get beat up a lot in school? You know, couldn't you get a real job? You know, I mean, what is, why? Why? What, what is in the heads of these people that do this stuff? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of my story. My dad was in the Navy. He joined up de December 8, 1941, the day after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Uh, he stayed in the Navy for 45 years, so I was raised a lot of the time in San Diego. And uh, Navy housing is really, really bad. It's terrible. But the locations are great. So I grew up two and a half miles from the ocean. We could see the ocean from our house. So I grew up as a kid surfing my brains out, loving it. Uh, get my chores done, get done with school, go surf, go surf, go surf. Uh, got elected uh, captain of the high school surf team. Every, you know, <clears throat> we had a football team, we had a wrestling team, we had a basketball team. Uh, but on our high school, the coveted place was to be on the high school surf team. Uh, good girls, good parties, good times, everything's awesome. You know? And I wasn't a Christian, so I was just living the, the great life. <clears throat> and... Uh, in the middle of my uh, junior year, we were driving down to the beach, and we knew that there were no waves that day. The waves were really, really small. When the waves were big, we'd be really careful about doing drugs. But when the waves were small, uh, we'd do uh, drugs on the way to the beach. Just That would make the small waves seem even more exciting. 
And, uh, and so I'm, I light up my doobie and I hand it to my best friend who's sitting over her shotgun. And uh, he turns to me and he says, I don't do that anymore. I became a Christian. <laughs> I knew what that meant. My mom was a Christian. I knew, I knew that everything we did, we were going to burn and go to hell for. And uh, man, he, he, he couldn't do any of that stuff anymore. And uh, man, we, we got to the beach, put our wetsuits on, paddled out. I didn't know what to say to the guy. But I saw his life change. I really did. And he was inviting me out to this youth group. And it's like, it was this funky Baptist church. Like, you got to be kidding me. I'm not going to go there. I'm done with that stage. <clears throat> but uh, again, he's my best friend. I'd never seen a life change like that. And so I went out with him uh, to this youth group. I found out the church on Sundays had three, 400 people. On Wednesday nights, there would be 500 to 1,000 high school guys listening to this guy. I didn't even know the guy's name. But that guy shared the gospel in a way that I'd never heard it shared before when I was going to Sunday school once in a while with my mom. <clears throat> he, uh, his gospel message went like this. What Christ did on that cross, there's nothing you did, can do to add to it. His blood pays for your sin. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. All you can do is fall on your face and say, thank you, God, and accept it as a gift that it is. But you need to understand this, that once you accept that gift, your life is over. You have no future. You have no rights. It's all about him from that moment on. So think it through. Think it through. And I did. I heard that message once or twice a month. Most of the time he was talking to Christians. Once in a while he'd talk to the non-Christians. And I, I kept listening to that thing for over six months until finally I just got tired of knowing I'm going to burn and go to hell. I'm going to burn and go to hell. It wasn't the love of Christ. It wasn't, you know, become a worshiper. Those are recent things, okay? Uh, burning and going to hell was my issue. And I knew I was going to burn and go to hell. And I, in beginning my senior year, I accepted Christ as my Savior. I didn't know what it mean. I had no idea. I didn't know anything about missions at all. Uh, <clears throat> but I began to listen to this youth pastor with a different set of ears. And he was talking again and again and again about the world, the world, the world, the world. He would tell us on a regular basis. And he's looking out there, most of the time about 750, 800 folks. San Diego doesn't need another youth pastor. I've got it covered. Get it out. Get out of here. Get out of here. And uh, then he's teaching us through the scriptures. He's teaching us the heart of the Lord Jesus. And I knew, guys, I, my sin had been forgiven. That's a great feeling. I hope, I hope you don't think that that's like, you know, the you know, kindergarten, you know, Christianity 101 stuff. That, you know, gratitude. You were going to burn and go to hell and Christ forgave your sin. I hope you haven't gotten over that. Because I was gripped by it. And for him to read, and I'm going to, basically from this moment on, I'm going to plagiarize everything. I haven't got an original thought in my head. You've heard all my stories, okay? Uh, but turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. And I want you to walk with me through some verses here. Because these are the things that caused me to walk away from what I wanted to do. Uh, I had set myself up so I, when I got out of high school, I could go professional as a surfer. I was going to surf for Jesus now. I had all kinds of guys tell me, do that, man. You're, it's a natural thing. It's a gift. Brad, you ought to surf for Jesus. I loved that plan. I loved that plan, except, the, and forgive me for saying this, but behind his back, we called the, the youth pastor the youth pastor from hell because nobody really liked him. We totally respected him. We, he had authority that you don't get in seminary. He had a life. He had the largest youth group in Southern California, and he lived in a trailer with an extension cord plugged into the church. I didn't know that. But he spoke with an authority that only a life yielded completely to the Lord Jesus gives. And so as he's teaching us through these things, I'm listening. If this is what my Savior really desires, I've got to get in line with it. Matthew chapter 26, this is the night before the Lord went to the cross. <clears throat> Verse 31, it says this. 
Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd of the sheep, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Hmm. Interesting geographic reference there. I'm going to go ahead of you into Galilee. Turn over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. The <clears throat> two of the ladies went to the tomb to look for Jesus, um, seeing if the, the tomb was still uh, shut up with a stone. And they found this angel there. It says in verse 5, Then the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. That's the second time. He's going to meet you in Galilee. There's nothing random about this meeting in Galilee. This is foretold. This is important. But we keep going. The ladies are running back to the tomb, or to the other disciples, it says here in verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, grabbed his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. There's no more foretold meeting in scripture than this thing that's going to happen in Galilee. Something epic is going to happen in Galilee. Now again, this is all taking place right inside Jerusalem. So they've got to go up, they've got to go through some area, they've got to get to Galilee. It's no small journey. And we don't know how long it took and how long they stayed there in Jerusalem before they took off for this time to get back to Galilee. But we pick up here in verse 16. <clears throat> then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Three different times he told them to go there, so they better get their rears up there. <clears throat> and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I love that Matthew included that in. Some doubted. Here's the risen Lord Jesus Christ, same height, same, you know, they didn't beat his face off. You know, it, it, it's obviously Jesus, but they doubted. They doubted. You know, we're incredible skeptics as people of the Lord Jesus. I've had hundreds, if not more, uh, tell me, if I only knew I was supposed to go to Nigeria, if I only knew I was supposed to go into missions, if I only knew I would do it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We, we, you know, we look at... Uh, Moses, going up to the top of Mount Sinai. And uh, here's Moses, and he's uh, been, just come out of Egypt, and he's been there in uh, the desert land there for a while. And he gets to the top of Mount Sinai, and he sees a burning bush. And out of, the vo out of the burning bush comes a voice, and say, Moses, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. Now does Moses go, is that really you, God? No! No, he, he takes off his shoes because he knows it's God. He knows it's God. Okay, he takes the shoes off. And then God says, hey, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to get my people out of Egypt. What's he do then? He knows it's God, but he goes, uh, I don't think so. I don't know your name. I don't know how to talk real good, blah, blah, blah. He starts playing 20 questions with God. And God has to put him in a half Nelson and slam him to the mat. And finally, Moses taps out and he goes back to Egypt. If I only knew baloney. We're skeptics. We know what we want. Man, here's Jonah. God says to Jonah, Jonah, go over there to Nineveh and preach against it. Uh, those are bad dudes. I don't think so. I don't think so. What's he do? Goes 180 to Tarshish, down there. And what's he say? Oh, this is a great excuse. I love this. 
What's he say? He gets on the boat because you know what? He had the money to buy a ticket. It says he had the money, he paid for a ticket. God provided. I remember I was working in a camp in California and a young guy had his application into UC Berkeley. He said, if God opens the door to UC Berkeley, then I'm going to go to Berkeley. If not, then I'm going to go into missions. Funny thing, God opened the door to Berkeley and the mission field lost another person. God gave, God provided the money so I can go down there to Tarshish and get a boat ticket. And then you remember what happens when, when everything's breaking loose, the storm's going on, and Jonah's down there in the bottom of the, hole, <clears throat> the bottom of the ship, and everybody's throwing things off, and those guys are terrified. Jonah's down there. I had a piece about it. I've got a piece about what I'm doing. When I was a missions pastor at my church, I had two men come into my office tell me they had a piece about divorcing their wife. We can have a piece about anything. We can talk ourselves into anything. In direct contrast to the written orders of our Lord Jesus Christ. They doubted. Here's the risen Lord Jesus, and they doubted. Anyway, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is the most powerful preamble in Scripture. Jesus had a lot of go-to phrases. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he who has ears, let him hear. But what he's saying here is, all authority in heaven and on earth, every realm you can conceive of, I own it all, I'm the boss, I'm the king of kings, lord of lords, I'm it. You know what he's doing? He is now the transformed, risen Lord Jesus Christ. He's not walking the dusty roads with the disciples. Hey, who do men say that I am? Uh, some say this, some say, uh-uh. He's not getting into a conversation. You know what he's doing here? I remember this tone of voice with my dad. From my dad. 45 years, Navy. You learn all about orders. Jesus is taking the tone of voice. He's saying, in essence, Peter, James, John, sit down and shut up. I'm giving orders. I'm not looking for a dialogue. I'm not looking for feedback. I'm not looking for a thought bubble. I'm not getting into a discussion with you. I'm giving orders. All authority in heaven and earth. You know, the, the sad thing is, you've probably had missions conferences before, and man, you've been in Sunday school and been raised in church, and you've read that so many times, it becomes like the white, white noise in the jungle. The sound of the jungle is so loud. Last night we showed a video, and some of the people got to see that. It's so loud, you don't even hear it after a while. It's just the cicadas and the bugs and the crickets and the frogs and the birds, the day and night birds. It's loud. It's really weird. When there's, a, when there's an earthquake coming at you in the jungle, You know what you hear? You hear the sound of silence coming at you as every animal gets silent. This phrase here, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, it can become like white noise. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Until we finally lose the import of it. We're going to stand before this one who said with crystal clear words, I'm the king of kings, I'm the alpha and the omega, I'm the lord of lords, and because that is the case, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them, teaching them, and lo, I'll be with you. Go and make disciples of all nations. And he's not talking about going to New Guinea, or Madagascar, or Botswana, India, China. That's not the word that he's using here in the Greek. This is pantata ethne. I'm not trying to dazzle you because I don't know Greek. Let me be right up front with you. But I've studied this verse enough in the Greek. What he's saying there, the ethnically, linguistically differentiated peoples, I want them all. I want them all to be worshipers. Jake stood up here and read read to us from Revelation 5, including in there, Revelation 5, 9. 
every tongue, tribe, and nation, there will be a day when the work of the church is done, there will be representatives from every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping around the throne. That's our goal. Indian Creek, yeah. Mineral Wells, yeah. Texas, yeah. But you can win every person in Indian Creek, Mineral Wells, and Texas to the Lord Jesus Christ. You wouldn't have done your job. It's about the world. We, your church, my church, churches in between here in California, our job is crystal clear to get the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And we raise our sons and daughters with this in mind. I didn't know what that meant. I wouldn't even you know, dare to say those words until I married my wife. My wife was raised to be expendable for the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> it was hard on my in-laws. It was hard on my in-laws uh, to see their four kids raised overseas. <clears throat> we came home once every four years on average. Big gaps. Um, it was hard on us when we left New Guinea. Excuse me, when we stayed in New Guinea and our kids graduated from high school, they came back to college here in the USA. Uh, our kids, uh, three of them were in boarding schools for over 24 years. Separations have been part of our lives. But this is not our home. Texas is not your home. You're just passing through. You're just passing through. Your home is there. That's where you retire. That's where you rest. That's where you get your reward. And to, de to the degree that we maneuver to have it all here and there too, we're gonna lose we're gonna lose no we're gonna lose heaven but we'll lose the fullness of what it is because we've tried to create heaven on earth here we are soldiers every one of us who claims the name of the Lord Jesus and so we evaluate everything we do individually as a family with our children does this work toward accomplishing this phrase here which has come to be known in the church as the Great Commission the marching orders of the Lord Jesus. We don't get to pick out what we want to do. We've been given our orders by the one who bought us. Jesus is not giving the disciples a suggestion, an idea to pray about, to look into, to ponder. These are your orders. This is what I want ringing in your ears. We'll go on now from here to Mark chapter 16. Let's see it again as Mark writes it down here. At the end of Jesus' life, there was one thing that he wanted ringing in their ears. My dad was gone from me a lot. He was with the atomic program that the Navy had. He was blowing off atomic bombs, hydrogen bombs, and so he left me uh, every time he left, and I didn't know what he was doing. I didn't know when he'd get back. He'd always leave me with orders. Uh, you have outstanding orders, you have contravening orders, and you have last orders. Last orders supersede everything else. Last orders supersede everything else. Jesus' last orders, because Jesus, when he was here on earth, he talked about a lot of topics. My responsibility to my wife, to my kids, to my country, to my employer or employees. He addressed many things, but at the end of his life, he has one thing that he wants ringing in the ears of the disciples. I want to be known, and you're my guys to make me known. That's what your life is about. Make no mistake about it. <clears throat> Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Matthew and Mark, they both take place on a mountainside in Galilee. Mark's version is just a little bit different than Matthew's. Location is important here. Now let's turn over to the book of Luke, chapter 24. I want us to see <clears throat> the running theme of what Jesus is focusing on at the end of his life. It's not a tag-on. It's the capstone. And if we don't get the meaning of the capstone 
and devote ourselves to the capstone, we're just staying busy. We can stay busy in wonderfully good things. But at the end of the day, we may find ourselves avoiding our king, our savior's last command. Luke 24, if you read the whole chapter, the context will be clear. We don't have time, of course, to read the whole chapter. Uh, but <clears throat> if you read it, uh, you'll find out that Jesus is going to meet up with his disciples inside a room in Jerusalem. This is not a mountainside in Galilee. <clears throat> this is a room in Jerusalem. We'll pick up in verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So Jesus is going to lead them in a Bible study. Is that not awesome? Would you not drive any length to be at a Bible study that Jesus is leading? That would be the coolest thing. So he gets from Genesis to Malachi to pick out any topics he wants to talk about. That's pretty interesting. What's he going to focus on? What's Jesus going to focus on when he gets the pulpit? Well, let me tell you, he didn't focus on the family. I love my family. Love my wife. Been married 1,273 years. At least it seems like it. It's been a rough go. No, I'm <laughs> Love my wife. We've got four kids. We've got 283 grandkids, it seems like. Man, they wear us out. I love family. But Jesus didn't focus on the family. That wasn't his preeminent thrust. He talked. He gave direction. I remember Beth and I were, uh, we were home on furlough one time. I forget what year it was, but anyway, we were home on furlough, and somebody gave us uh, tickets to this, uh, uh, this well, not a concert, what, anyway, some event that was going to honor a very well-known guy. Many of you would know the man's name, and he is worthy of the honor. He's done much to help American families <clears throat> in the church. And uh, anyway, he was, he's up there on the die. It was a banquet, so I had to wear ties. He bought a dress, that whole thing, which I hate. And uh, so and everybody's having the same cold chicken. Finally, it was time to honor the guy. And uh, all these pastors in San Diego, they stood up, said wonderful things about him. And then he stood up uh, to say a few remarks. And, he, and the, you know, if you're standing up for five, ten minutes, you're going to say a sentence that you regret. So I don't hold this against the guy. But uh, it, it blew my mind. He stood up and he's talking. And uh, in the course of his, you know, 10, 15 minutes, he says this. Make it your highest goal in life to raise Christian kids for the Lord. People start standing up and clapping. You know, and I don't want to be the one guy. I'm like, What? But I stand up and I, I clap too, you know. It takes me a while to figure things out. I'm not quick on my feet. So we're driving back and uh, it, it hit me. Your highest goal to raise Christian kids for the Lord? It's like saying, make it your highest goal in life not to sell cocaine. And you make it your highest goal in life not to burn down the Capitol building. You make it your highest goal in life not to get involved in human trafficking. Well, duh, that's Christianity 101. That's not our highest goal to raise Christians. Of course we raise our kids to love and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not our highest goal. Our highest goal was given to us by another. And on the way, we raise our kids to love and live for the Lord Jesus. On, on the way, we're good employers employees. On the way, we do these things well that he speaks to. Our highest goal is to get the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's exactly what the W's are out to do. And it will take them decades. And the tragedies and the losses and the sufferings, I'm glad I don't know them. Had I known what was ahead of us in New Guinea, I'm not sure I would have gone. And they know this, and God in his grace and mercy shields us from full knowledge of what they're getting into and the setbacks. Guys, you have heroes in your midst. Get behind them. You're a blessed church. Not many churches are raising up people to do the very thing that they're out to do. 
Jesus gets to pick any topics. What are the two topics he talks about when he gets the pulpit? Let's look. First topic is this, verse 46. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. When he looked from Genesis to Malachi, that's what, what has he just uttered? That's shorthand for the gospel. The most important message of scripture. Our father looked down from heaven, he saw our need, he sent his son, we have a savior. We have forgiveness of sins. Number one message of scripture. Nothing comes close. But the next message of scripture, Jesus speaks here. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem. That word nations, again, pantata ethnic. Ethnically, linguistically differentiated peoples. The missiologically sound church does not send people to New Guinea. They send them to people groups inside New Guinea. They don't send them to Botswana. They send them to people groups. If we're going to complete the Great Commission, if we want to do missions for another 10,000 years, we can just keep doing what we're doing. But if we want, actually want to complete, fulfill the words of the Great Commission, our missionaries have to learn two languages or go to a place where the one language doesn't even have a church. The easy places have been reached. When uh, <clears throat> Beth and I have been living among the teddies for a few months, and I, we were still in the process of uh, building our house, our second son, Brandon, he came down uh, with malaria. We didn't know that. <clears throat> we're a young couple. We don't know much about tropical diseases, and so we played around for a couple days, and finally we decided it might be malaria, so she crushed up some Camiquin pills and shoved them down his throat, and he was about 16, 15, 16 months at that time, and about a half hour later, he threw him up. He had a fever about 102, and so we had to uh, pull up a shot of uh, chloroquine and inject him uh, with chloroquine, and we thought, man, that's, chloroquine's pretty strong stuff, and that, that will definitely uh, kill off or make the malaria uh, start to break the fever there. It didn't. That was on a Tuesday and the fever just kept going up, 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 up. You know, man, it'll break in the night. We woke up on Wednesday morning. Fever is 104, 104 and a half. Uh, he's getting, uh, <clears throat> he's starting to throw up and have uh, diarrhea at the same time. We know that he's dehydrating in front of us. And uh, <clears throat> of course, we gave him another shot of chloroquine, uh, hoping it would break it. About 12 o'clock, his eyes began to roll. And we realized that we're losing our son. And we called out to the nearest missionary. His name was Tom. We said, Tom, can you come get us? We, we didn't live on a navigable river. We lived on trails. And Tom could get so far up with his boat, and we'd have to hike down. And, of course, that, it was too late in the day to do it on the Wednesday. And so we had to, we prayed, and all the other missionaries were praying for the life of our son, uh, that we, he could make it through the night. And we were going to carry him out early, early the next morning. Uh, about <clears throat> 5.30 in the morning, I got up, Beth, Brooks, and Brandon, and uh, picked up Brandon, put him against my chest, and he's just lifeless, just... We walked down the ladder of our house through a trail and, and went over to the Teddy Village where we'd catch this long trail down to where we'd finally meet up with Tom. And uh, there was a bunch of Teddy men standing there, eight men uh, that wanted to talk to us. I couldn't speak their language. There was one guy there that could speak Melanesian. I could speak Melanesian. I couldn't speak their language. And uh, they want to, <clears throat> they're standing there like wondering what we were doing. And uh, I turned my son's head around. I says, can't you see my son? He's nearly dead. We're going to try to go get him some help. And uh, <clears throat> guy, uh, the one guy that could interpret, he, uh, he told the guys uh, what I was doing. And you know, what they, you know what they began to do? They started laughing. <laughs> that crazy Ooga Booga Land voice of theirs. I hated those guys. I hated them. I, and I said, what, what, what are they saying? What are they saying? What are they saying? He didn't want to tell me what they were saying. What they were saying was this. He's dead already. Go back to your house. He'll die completely this afternoon. 
You can bury them here. You'll have more kids. Grow up. Guys, they're little people. I want to reach across and start pulling throats out of their bodies. I want to watch them bleed out. I want to watch blood pump out of them like fish on the deck of a boat. Die slow. I hated these people. Why do I tell you this story? This is important for us to know, folks. We don't go to them because they're so needy, because a soul in New Guinea is so much more important than a soul in mineral wells. We don't go to them because they're so sad that they live in such hard situations. That, that's part of the equation, but that's not the ultimate criteria. That's not why we send missionary workers to places that have no churches, no gospel, no scriptures. That's not why we do it, because they're so sad. That's part of the equation. We also don't do it because I feel like it. I don't feel like it. I want to. I don't want to. I'm cut out for it. I'm not cut out for it. I'm not the ultimate issue. I wanted to surf for Jesus. Jesus said, shut up. I don't care. I'm not the big issue here. I want to. I want to inherit the farm. I want to do this. I want... You're not the big issue. They're not the big issue. The big issue is this. Our Savior, the God of the universe, commanded those who bow their knee and accept his forgiveness, you get in line with my agenda. He has spoken clearly. And so we raise our sons and daughters with this in mind. We don't plan on retiring. We work till we drop. We're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a task to be done. My unsaved father modeled this for me. He never understood why I did what I did. I said, Dad, I had you for a dad. He was an unsaved man. When his country needed him, he stepped forward. Now our Savior commands us. I want to be known, and you're my church, and these are your marching orders. Turn over to Acts chapter 1. We'll see it again here. We're not going to go into John chapter 20, where Jesus says, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you. We're a sent people. My wife, now, I, again, I'm a Navy nomad, okay? I don't understand roots, but my wife had roots. She uh, was born and raised in Michigan, rural part. She had to drive 10 miles to get a gallon of milk, where they, that part of Michigan that she was raised in. She had roots all the way to, from Michigan all the way to China. She has roots. I get it. I was born into the, I was you know, married into the roots thing. I can understand how a place like this would get hold of you. I get it. Now, I, I know my wife, the first <clears throat> year that we were there in New Guinea, every time it was 11 o'clock, that's when her country church met, 11 o'clock, she could visualize the ushers coming down up front to collect the offering. Every Sunday, 11 o'clock, my dear young wife, crying, crying, the homesickness, missing home. This place can wrap its arms around you. I get it. But we're sent people. We don't have the right. We're pilgrims. We're sojourners. We're strangers. That's what Peter would write to the diaspora, the, the scattered Jews. Acts chapter 1. This, this is the third physical location we're talking about. Very clearly, this is on the Mount of Olives right outside of Jerusalem. So we've talked about a mountain in Galilee. We've talked about a room inside Jerusalem. Now we're talking the third location. And Jesus meets up with his disciples in verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. It says, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Was that a bad question? No. Man, based on uh, minor prophets and major prophets, the, the clear understanding was that following the coming of the Messiah, Israel would be restored to national greatness. Their question wasn't wrong, but it wasn't on point. They wanted to have a Bible study on end times. They wanted to talk about eschatology. You know what Jesus says to them? No. 
I'm not going there. Nothing wrong with that, but hey, John, you're going to write a lot of stuff on end times. Peter, you're going to write a few things. There's a guy walking around now, his name is Saul. He'll turn into Paul. He'll write something. You'll get that. That's not critical. That's not mission-critical information. I'm going to give you mission-critical information. And so he replies to them with this. He said to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. You'll get that later. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid him from their sight. Can you imagine a better exclamation point? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Did you hear that? Does that make an impression on you? Do you, do you understand my biggest desire? It better be yours too. I hung on a cross. My youth pastor. You have no future. You have no rights. It's all about him from that moment on. And he had the life and the authority to back it up. And there were tons of us from that youth group that went off. I, I was telling Jake, I was one of 13 young men and women that left our youth group that day when I graduated from high school to go into missions training. My best man, he went to Indonesia from the youth group. And uh, he's been there 40 years. He's still there. Um, it can be done. Your kids can be world changers. Raise them to be world changers. This church can be an engine in this part of Texas. Man, as, I'm not worried about theology. You guys are strong. Missiologically, to make the adjustments to bring this church to where it can be a sending, sending, sending church, to where the W's are just the first. And there will be many more. And there will be reasons to work harder, work longer, to put away the retirement plans. Because we've got people out there that are banking on us to be here, to do our job, to give and to pray, to prepare the hearts of the people that they're going to. We're going to go to one last passage. It's Romans chapter 15. And let's understand this, and then I promise I will be done. I don't want any of the roast to get burned <clears throat> Romans chapter 15 we're, we're talking about missions this morning and I think it's if we're going to talk about missions let's look at let's let the apostle Paul define what a missionary is because the word missions has gotten so spread out and there's a lot of good things that sail under that banner but let's let's at least go back to the source if we're going to have a definition and see how Paul defined it here we're picking up in the middle of a thought and so it's a little bit disjointed. But uh, we'll pick up here in the middle of verse 19. Paul says this. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. From Jerusalem, way over here, all the way, all the way, <clears throat> all the way, way over here to Greece, on top of Macedonia, on top of Achaia, Illyricum, Galatia, I've gone all the way through there and now all the way to Illyricum. I've preached the gospel. Now, come on. Did Paul talk to every person? No, of course not. Did Paul get to every town? Of course not. But he planted churches. And guys, I love your focus here on reaching Indian Creek and mineral wells. Do it well. Be lighthouses here. But never take your eyes off the bigger goal, too. Reaching the world. That's going to be your sons and daughters and people that come up from this community. It has been a privilege to be with you guys the last 48 hours. And uh, to, we love these guys intensely. Uh, and they know you love them too. Uh, thank you for sending them well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. 
Lift up our eyes. Give us a vision of how great you are, how worthy you are, even of those precious things called our sons and daughters. Use this church in a mighty way here and, Lord, in the community of churches, too, that this part of Texas would be known as ascending area for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.